Book Dreams, a member of the Podglomerate Network and LitHub Radio. Hello, and welcome to Book Dreams, the podcast for everyone who loves books and misses English class. I'm Julie Sternberg, author of a number of children's books, including Like Pickle Juice on a Cookie and Summer of Stolen Secrets, a brand new middle grade novel. And I'm Eve Yohalem. I'm also a children's book author. My books include The Truth According to Blue and Cast Off, The Strange Adventures of Petra de Winter and Brom Broen. In each episode of this podcast, we consider a book-related topic. And in this episode, we consider what's it like to be both a senior editor and a multiple New York Times bestselling author. Seems like it would be pretty good. Yeah, I think we, so. <laughs> okay, we, we're done. There's the answer. Right, exactly. Um, but for the longer version, we were so happy that Jill Santapolo agreed to talk to us. Jill is the international best-selling author of Everything After, More Than Words, and The Light We Lost, which was a Reese Witherspoon book club pick and has been optioned for film. Her books have been translated into more than 35 languages and have been named to the New York Times, USA Today, Wall Street Journal, Apple, and IndieBound bestseller lists. She's also the author of many books for children. Jill's the associate publisher of Philomel Books, an imprint of Penguin Young Readers Group, where she edits many critically acclaimed, award-winning, and best-selling books by authors including Chelsea Clinton, Temple Grandin, Justice Sonia Sotomayor, and Vice President Kamala Harris. We love talking to Jill about writing and editing and her latest book. And I particularly enjoyed the moment when Jill shared stories about some of her author events. Right? Yeah, yeah. But uh, first we started by asking her what came first, editing or writing, and what she likes and doesn't like about each. Here's what she said. I guess I'll say writing came first, mostly because my mother has kept the book that I, in quotes, wrote when I was three. Um, it's called Stacy the Cat, about a fat cat who sat on a mat. I'm assuming inspired <laughs> by Dr. Seuss. Oh, but very precocious that you Thank were you. writing at three. Thank very. Um, <laughs> so I dictated the book to her and then I illustrated it myself. And I kept writing stories truly my whole life. I was very prolific in first grade. It was a good year for me. Um, <laughs> but I very much love both things. And I think what I like the most about writing is that the story is mine to do whatever I want with, at least in the first draft. And I think what I like about editing the most is that I get to help other writers realize their vision and try and figure out how to help them make their stories the best version of their stories. What I don't like about writing is how solitary it can be. Particularly during this pandemic, I've realized that I like people very much. And I think what's sometimes hard about editing is how much it's tied to the market and sales and how much I have to think about that as an editor. Can you say a little bit more about the interplay between sales and marketing and the editing side? How do the interactions work? Um, how does the whole process work? So we're really just a very large team, maybe like an octopus of a team where the editor's you know, we acquire our books, we present them at our launch meeting, 
And that's when we start talking to sales and marketing about the themes. We give them the manuscripts to read. We give them the art to look at. You know, we talk about any platform that an author might have. And then we kind of go back and forth about where marketing and sales see the book in the larger Penguin Young Readers space and then also in the larger children's market space. You were an author and editor of children's books before you started writing for adults. Can you tell us about that transition? Sure. So I never intended to write for adults. I intended to write for children forever. I loved it. I still love it. I loved going into schools, talking to kids about writing, encouraging them to tell their own stories. But a number of years ago, I went through a horrible, horrible breakup and I started writing pages about a woman who also went through a horrible breakup, mostly just so I would kind of have a fictional friend to go through it with and I could stop bothering my real friends about how sad I was. And then I shared the pages with a writer friend of mine. She basically said to me, I think you're writing a novel and I think it's a novel for grownups and I think you should keep going. And that turned into The Light We Lost. And then I found that I really loved writing for adults and I loved talking to adult readers just as much as I love talking to kid readers. And I had some other things I wanted to say in the adult space. So I've kept writing there. And do you have any interest in editing books written for adults? No, actually, (laughs) I don't think I do. Um, I really love the kids space and I really love editing books for kids. And I think especially I love editing picture books and the marriage of art and text, I think is a really fun part of the job. And I think I would miss it a lot if I edited adult novels. You have taught writing for children at both the New School and at McDaniel College. Do you have favorite books to teach or to use as models with your students? So one book I have taught and used as a model a lot is Rita Williams Garcia's book called Jumped. Mm -hmm. And it's told from three different, very distinct character perspectives. And I think it's the most remarkable example of an author putting on different character voices and differentiating them in the first person that I've ever seen. So that's one of my favorite books to teach. You know, I'm so glad that you asked Jill about her teaching because voice is such a hard thing to define, much less teach. I like to think about voice in two ways. One is sort of who's telling the story and then who are they telling the story to? Mm. Because you use different voices if you're talking to the principal of your school than if you're talking to your best friend, if you're a little kid. Yeah. Regardless, it's so hard to find the right voice. It takes me forever. Yeah, it takes me a long time too. And I get really excited when I read a book with a very strong voice. One of my favorite examples of a really strong third-person voice is Neil Gaiman's The Graveyard Book. Do you remember the opening lines? I remember that they were great. Yeah, well, okay, I'm going to read them because they were great. Okay. There was a hand in the darkness, and it held a knife. The knife had a handle of polished black bone and a blade finer and sharper than any razor. If it sliced you, you might not even know you'd been cut. Not immediately. 
The knife had done almost everything it had been brought to that house to do, and both the blade and the handle were wet. Now, keep in mind, this is a book for 10-year-olds. What 10-year-old wouldn't want to read that book? But really, what person of any age wouldn't want to? Oh, my gosh. I know. It's one of my favorites. Yes. And so next, we talked to Jill about her new book, Everything After. Among other things, it's a look at the one who got away, that first great love you wonder about from time to time, or maybe all the time, and the whole life that might have gone with them. We asked Jill what made her want to explore those themes of the person not chosen and the road not taken. Here's what she said. I think it's so interesting to look back at who we all were at different points in our lives and see the connection of, you know, my high school self, my college self, my grad school self, how choices I made sort of transformed one version of myself into the next. I always think about, you know, what if there was a choice that I made differently? Where would I be now? Would I still end up where I am today? Or would I have an entirely different life? I think it's a really, a really fascinating thought experiment. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to show someone whose college self and their adult self were very different and what that would mean. Yeah. Now, you've said that with everything after you chose to write about fields that you don't know much about, in this case, specifically music, psychology and medicine. Why do you like writing what you don't know? And what kinds of research did you do to make those things convincing? I like writing what I find interesting. Mm -hmm. And I find medicine super interesting. The same with psychology and music. I just love music. So I did a bunch of online research, but then I also had expert readers in all of those fields sort of vet the last version of the book to make sure that I didn't get too off the mark. Mm -hmm. And I did end up changing a few things and rewording a few things to make it feel more realistic to people who had those actual jobs. I wanted to ask too, how do author events for your adult books differ from those for your kids' books? And do you have any favorite stories from each? I often go into schools or did go into schools when I was writing kids' books, which I just loved because we would write a story by committee and the kids would get to give their ideas and then vote. Interestingly, approximately 60% of the classes that I visited, one of the characters in our story was named Bob. And I don't know why. (laughs) Kids really seem to like the name Bob. What's that? I wonder what that's about. Like, is it SpongeBob? I don't know. I really don't know. I've I've thought about this for a lot of time and I really can't figure it out. I wonder if Bob is the new John. I'm sorry. I, I have to tell this story now, which is when I was pregnant, and this was 20 years ago, but when I was pregnant, my husband really, really, really wanted, if it was a boy, to name the boy Bob, not Robert, it's just Bob. <laughs> And I was like, that's not going to happen. And then I remember so vividly, we went out to dinner with his twin brother to let his brother know we were announcing, you know, that I was pregnant. And his brother said, oh, if it's a boy, you have to name him Bob. (laughs) And I don't think that this was a setup. I think. Okay, but they are twins. They are twins, but it was the weirdest. It was so weird. (laughs) Anyway. Uh, 
But yes, they they love Bob. And for the adult events, I think the most memorable event I went to was last year. I did an event in the Pacific Northwest and a woman came up to me and told me how much she loved The Light We Lost and then pushed up her sleeve. And she had had the silhouette from The Light We Lost tattooed on her forearm. It was the most incredible experience. I was so touched. I almost cried. I mean, the fact that somebody wanted a reminder of my book permanently tattooed on their body was just mind-blowing, the most amazing Valentine's Day gift. Oh my God. Talk about making an impression on someone. That, that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So Julie, can you please ask Jill your questions? Okay. Okay. Okay, Jill. I, I recently did a school visit where I was asked a couple of questions and Eve really wants me to ask them to you. Okay. Are you ready? Okay. Are you a superhero? I don't think I'm a superhero, but I would like to be one. But if you were one, what would be your superpower? You know, my husband and I were actually joking the other night because now we have this three-month-old baby that we would be like a superhero family, you know, like the Incredibles. Um, and my power would be shooting breast milk. <laughs> <laughs> and the men especially would just like run f- screaming. Yeah, that's a mic drop right there. The ability to shoot (laughs) breast milk on command is the single best superpower. Absolutely. I mean, like who needs flying or invisibility? (laughs) Right. When you can feed the children of the world, I mean, all at the same time, literally. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, done. But um, superpowers aside, I loved talking with Jill about editing and writing and the interplay of the two and being a children's book editor in particular. It reminded me of our conversation from episode nine, editing great books for bad children. Mm, Yeah. So for people who haven't listened to that episode, it's about the iconic Ursula Nordstrom who really paved the way for editors like Jill. Ursula was director of Harper's Children's Division from the 1940s until the 1970s. She edited books like Goodnight Boone, The Runaway Bunny, Charlotte's Web, Stuart Little, Where the Wild Things Are, The Giving Tree, Harriet the Spy, you name it. Everything from Goodnight Moon to Freaky Friday. Basically, if you can name a children's book from that era that lives on today, chances are very high that Ursula Nordstrom was its editor. And Leonard Marcus, who's a renowned scholar of children's books, edited her vast collection of letters into one incredible book called Dear Genius, The Letters of Ursula Nordstrom. We're going to play just two minutes from our conversation with him where Leonard describes Ursula's long and ultimately tumultuous relationship with the Dutch author Meindert de Jung. Unlike most of Ursula's authors, I had never heard of him, but just listen to this story. He was a janitor in a church in Michigan. He was just sitting there uh, with a typewriter, manual typewriter at night, hammering out novel after novel. And, you know, for a number of years, nothing was quite right. But they also engaged in a very extensive correspondence. It was one of the two longest correspondences. I mean, it filled an entire um, file cabinet drawer. So there must have been must have been thousands of letters. And they were single spaced. And often they were three and four pages long. So imagine that. Yeah. World War Two came and went. And 
eventually he wrote a book that she felt she could publish. And then the most amazing thing happened. I mean, there were several books followed. And then he won every prize in sight. You know, he won the Newbery Medal. He won the Hans Christian Andersen Medal, which is an international prize. I think he won the National Book Award. And um, just, you know, rags to riches. Amazing. Yeah. Of course, it, it affected him in a way that damaged their relationship. He became a little bit too big for himself. And they ended up having a falling out, which happened more than once with Ursula. Once the person achieved the fame that they were both aiming for. She was much better with newly discovered mega talents. So did he resent her editorial input? I think so. As I recall, I think there came along a manuscript that she felt needed to be improved and he thought it didn't. Getting back to that question of what's it like to edit iconic. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's such a labor intensive and in a way sort of heart intensive process. You know, you put so much of yourself into those things over such a long period of time that I think some people just got burned out. And I think Ursula got burned out with some people too. Louise Fitzhugh became really difficult to edit after The Long Secret. First Harriet the Spy, then The Long Secret. She ended up going to um, Delacorte uh, as an alternate publisher. There are so many more great stories about Ursula and her authors in episode nine. We hope you'll take a listen. And that's it for this episode of the Book Dreams podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Please subscribe if you haven't already. And if you like the podcast and think someone else would too, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast player. Be sure to let us know if there's a book-related topic you've wondered about, and we'll try looking into it in a future episode. You can reach us for that reason or any other at contact at bookdreamspodcast.com. We're also on Twitter at bookdreamspod and on Instagram at bookdreamspodcast. You can find Jill at jillsantapolo.com and on Twitter at jillsantapolo. Many thanks to our producer, Gianfranco Lentini, and to our theme music composer, Maya Polsky. You can find Eve at eveohallam.com and me at juliesternberg.com. And check out the podcast website www.bookdreamspodcast.com. Book Dreams is part of the Podglomerate Network and Lit Hub Radio. Until next time, happy book dreaming. Happy book dreaming. Come listen to Book Dreams with Julie and me.